your Bibles to Isaiah 55, where our scripture is read for us this morning. Isaiah 55. If you don't have your own Bible, our ushers do have Bibles available. Raise your hand and they'll bring one to you. Isaiah 55. Let's all stand in respect to the reading of God's word. Follow along in your Bibles as I read aloud. Isaiah 55, the word of God says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me, hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that you that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, make, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. May God give us understanding the word of God that we preached and was read before us this morning. If you would, please remain standing for our time of prayer. Let's bow our heads in prayer. After a word of prayer, the choir will come with special music. And then after that music, the preaching today of Brian Christopher Kenner. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for allowing us to come together and to fellowship once again around your word and worshiping you because of the Redeemer that you sent, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died on the cross so that we might trust in him and have eternal life. We thank you uh, for looking on us and doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. We thank you for this service today. We pray, Lord, that you would 
um, speak through your servant, through your word today. Be with Brian. Bless um, him as he has prepared to speak your word and help him to deliver it. Your Holy Spirit might be upon him, your Holy Spirit within us to receive your word and to, to, um, to have that what you desire, uh, the result that you desire from your word today. That it would minister in our hearts, it would bring forth fruit, it would produce um, righteousness, it will cause us to glory in the Lord Jesus Christ and to live lives that are pleasing to you. Lord, we pray for those um, with us and those that are not with us, especially those who are sick and those who are away because of, of illness and health. I pray for my dad, Lord, and your, your blessing and comfort of him. I pray for my mom and her care for him. I thank you, Lord, for your grace that has been poured out in their lives. And then, Lord, we pray for, for each and every one here. We pray, Lord, that you would just... Um, use your people here for your glory, that our lives will reflect um, your living in our, in our lives, your living within us, and that uh, we might be a testimony, we might be fruitful, we might be um, productive for you and bring glory to you in all that we do. This we pray in Jesus' name. God. I praise God for his word. I praise God for his teachers, both living and dead. Praise God for my father teaching and preaching and helping to instruct me. But I thank God also for men who've been gone for centuries. John Calvin. Well, I've been studying. He's been helping me to understand the scriptures, especially today. And then John Piper, who's a preacher from Minnesota. He's still alive. But he's been helping me to understand this passage. And you know, the thing is, I was looking at some of the stuff online. and When it comes to teaching God's word, I don't mind being plagiarized. Because anything that helps somebody's understanding, you can steal it. Because it's going to go towards good. And so I thank God for these men who put their work in public places so we can learn from it. They're not trying to hold on to this knowledge like it's some secret magic that only they could have. They're trying to spread it because they want more understanding of his word. So I thank God for that. And I thank God for the prophets. Rarely do we get to see God just speak himself. But when you go to the prophets, you get to see God just speak. And so God just talks straight to you. And I wish that there was a different kind of Bible where you know how the, the words are in red when they're spoken by Jesus. And I want there to be one where there's a blue if it's spoken by God the Father and a green if it's spoken by the Holy Spirit. Because when you go to the prophets, you will see nothing but blue. And the thing I love about when God speaks, God just, he just, he knows what to say. He puts it in perfect ways. 
But God just has this confidence that's just shocking. You know, I put it again. Sometimes, you know, I used to love rap back in the day. Now it's terrible. But back in the day when they used to have skill, <laughs> I used to love rap. And one of the things I liked about it was these guys just had so much confidence. They had so much swag. But nobody can beat the confidence and the swag of God. God just come. And what it, what it really means is this. God's confidence makes man's confidence look sad. Because God can always back up what he says. And men can only hope to back up what they say. Now, when we look at the book of Isaiah, what you got to understand is a few things. First off is this. Um, rumor among the Jews is that Isaiah was a nephew of a king. That his father was a brother of a king. And that's why he had access to the palace as much as he did. He would go in and out of the palace whenever he wanted to. He would go and talk to the kings, and that's why he was instrumental in writing the historical books. He had a really good relationship with Hezekiah, who was a good king. But soon after, there were evil kings, and Isaiah was killed. He was cut in half. But Isaiah never was afraid of telling God's truth. Just like Jeremiah was not afraid, even though they threw him in a dungeon, these prophets were not afraid of saying God's truth. Or maybe they were afraid. Jeremiah said he was afraid, but that didn't stop him, right? There's nothing wrong with feeling fear. It's just something wrong with buying down to fear, and they refused to buy down to fear. They felt fear just like we feel fear. But they just kept going because they knew who spoke to them. And the one thing about the prophets, that's the hidden lesson in the prophets is the listening. Listening is the most fundamental spiritual skill. And every time that they speak, they say, thus saith the Lord. And what that means is this, that they didn't speak unless they clearly heard. And so they practiced the skill of listening and being silent. Many times you will look through the prophets and they'll say, God's hand was on me, so I could not speak. And what does that mean? They were so stuck on listening to God, God didn't even let a word come out their mouth until they were clear of what God's word was. And Isaiah is such a learned man. You read through his book and you see all different kind of forms. You almost get this mix between Psalms and Proverbs. And then you'd have this God just speaking. In chapter 53, we saw a little bit of it in our catechism. It speaks all about Jesus. He was crushed for our transgressions. Then in chapter 54, God is speaking about calling his people back to him. And then we get to chapter 55, and the cool thing about it is God is speaking, and then the prophet speaks, and then God speaks for the rest of the chapter. Most of the chapter is God speaking. And he starts off with this command, come. He says, It's a summons to two different audiences. The first one is those who have nothing. He says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money, without price. People who have nothing, come. 
But then there's a second group in verse 2. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which is not satisfied? Listen diligent to me, diligently to me and eat what is good. In other words, there's two groups. There's the group that has nothing, and then there's the group that's working hard and still has nothing. Two groups. And they represent the two ways of trying to make your own religion. One group has nothing. They're morally bankrupt. They have no access to God, and they know it. It's like our public schools. Bankrupt. Nothing. People walk around, man, what's the point? Nothing. Then you have another group that tries to earn their way into heaven. Right? They're working hard. It says they're laboring. But he says, why do you labor for something that is not bread. I think of all these religions that we have. I think of Islam. I think of Buddhism. I think of Hinduism. I think of many of our Christian churches. They are working hard for their own salvation, but when they get to the end, will they get what they work for? No. Because you can't work for what God wants to give you for free. And God offers these two different audiences three things, three drinks, water, milk, and wine. Now, what is water? Water, first off, before we get to this, let me say this. Neither of these groups have what is necessary for spiritual life. Neither of them have water. Neither of them have bread. Neither of them have anything. And God offers them three drinks, the first of which is water. Water is necessary for life and refreshment. Then he offers them milk. Milk is necessary for growth and for muscle. And then he offers them wine. Wine is necessary for joy and for pleasure. And what God is basically saying is to these people who have no salvation, to these people who have no hope, I offer you life. I offer you what's necessary for spiritual growth. I offer you what's necessary for joy. This whole world is searching for happiness. This whole world is looking for joy. Only joy that matters can be found in Jesus Christ. God says, I have it. One thing that helps me to understand, too, is that salvation can be seen in these three different aspects, right? Because salvation gives us spiritual life, but a lot of times we stop thinking about salvation there as if it stops to matter after we've been saved. But that's not the case. Because salvation pushes us, and we know somebody is saved when they develop and they start to grow, right? Peter says, taste and see the sincere milk of God's word, and you'll grow. If you've been saved, you will necessarily grow, just like a baby that has life has to grow. It's not going to be the same size as it was when it was first born as when it's two. If it is, there's something wrong. Most likely, it's not even alive. And then salvation is the wine. The salvation is what lets us have our joy. It gives us enjoyment. We can have enjoyment. Maybe the rest of the world cannot have enjoyment. They can have their momentary flashes. But every time the world experiences joy, they experience a downturn. 
You get drunk, there's a hangover. You sleep with somebody, you can get somebody pregnant, you can get an STD, you can get anything, right? You do a drug, you get addicted. You eat, you get fat. Every joy comes with a price in the world, but in God's kingdom, there is no price. And look what he says. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Isn't that funny? It's not a price, but it has to be bought. It's very precious. It's worth a whole lot, and you can buy it, but the price is zero. The end part of chapter, verse 2, it says, listen. Look with me in Isaiah 51. Verse 1, he says, listen to me, you who pursue righteousness. You who seek the Lord. Verse 4, give attention to me, my people, and give ear to me, my nation. For a law will go out from me, and I will set my justice for a light to the peoples. My righteousness draws near, and my salvation has gone out. My arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands hope for me, and for my arm they wait. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look at the earth beneath, for the heavens vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment, and they who dwell in it will die in the like manner. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will never be dismayed. Listen. Because what I had to give you, you can't get anywhere else. Listen. What's so good about listening? Because listening is the essence of salvation. Because what does the word say? Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. In other words, the word must be preached. And then you must hear that word. And then you must believe that word. And if you don't hear that word, it's not possible for you to be saved. Listening. You must listen. All the time, the prophets, I believe the most popular the command in the prophets is always listen. Listen. And he says... Listen in a lot of different ways, doesn't he? He said, listen diligently to me, incline your ear, and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. Why does he repeat it? Because he's begging. God is begging us to listen. And what, are these what is he begging us towards? He's pulling us towards a covenant. He says, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. Now at this point, David has long been dead. He's not talking about a covenant with David when David is not even alive. No, what he's speaking about is the greater David, the son of David, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ as a witness. He says, I have made him a witness to the peoples. And what does he mean by that? Well, Jesus Christ is a witness from heaven to us, right? He's seen things in heaven that we've never seen. And then he's a witness from earth to heaven. He's seen things that the angels in heaven have never seen. He's a leader. It says, I made him a witness to the peoples, a, a leader and commander for the peoples. Jesus is now our leader. He gives us direction and a purpose. 
when there's a covenant with God, there's not only an understanding of what's in heaven, but there's also direction. Most of our world is aimless and looking for a way, and God, when he says, I give you salvation, he's giving us a direction. He's giving us a purpose. He's giving us what in many other places we call a calling. But not only that, in this covenant with God, he gives us the power to call others. Look what he says in verse 5. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know. And a nation that did not know you shall run to you. Because of the covenant, we now have the ability to evangelize. Look at me. Look with me at chapter 56, verse 3 through 8. It says, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name, better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. Jesus said this, I have sheep that are not of this fold. And what he means by that is this, in that covenant there is unity. The world often talks about world peace and races coming together. And that's just a joke outside of Jesus Christ. Because the world tries to put countries together. You look at the former Yugoslavia. And what happened there? The two groups of people did not get along, hated each other more because they had to govern the same land. And they just got torn by war. Because you cannot put two people together politically. They can only be put together spiritually. Iran is the same. Iraq is the same. Iraq has three groups of people in it. And we try to put them in one country. And let me tell you right now, I don't have to be a prophet to tell you it's not going to work. Why is it not going to work? Because those people don't like each other. They can't govern together. Maybe they will work as three different countries and not go to war. But the fact that they have to be one country is what's going to make them go to war. Before, they was only united because they had a sadistic murderer as their ruler. He didn't mind killing whoever said something. So they was like, well, yeah, we like each other. Because <laughs> they had to. But if you want real unity, that can only be found in Christ. You can only find racial unity where there is Christ. In chapter 65, verse 1, he says this, I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am. 
to a nation that was not called by my name. That's us. None of us are Jews. None of us are the people of God. If you look far enough back in our history, all of us was pagans, worshiping whatever gods came from the land. Some of us were sacrificing our own children. Some of our ancestors was doing any witch witchcraft. None of it had any knowledge to it, but because now we know who Jesus is, now we're united. We didn't ask, right? It's weird because in many ways, it was sin that brought us to God. Some of us was brought here because we were slaves. And you know what? In God, I thank God for that slavery. If it meant that I could be saved. There's no price high enough that I wouldn't pay to be saved. And the last thing he promises in his covenant is glory. It says in verse 5, for he has glorified you. Romans 8 talks about that, all the aspects of salvation. It talks about who he called, he will glorify. He's going to give us a share of his glory. We're going to be proud to be his. Maybe now people look down on us. But in the end, when they see God's salvation come, they'll see us shining. Daniel says we'll be shining like stars in the sky. So God was speaking in the first five verses. But I believe the prophet is speaking in the sixth and seventh. The prophets plea. And the prophet says this, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. It's a limited time offer. Because the question is then, because we sometimes we get too theological for our own good. We say God is everywhere. He can always be found. But he's not speaking of it in that sense. Because he's saying, when can God be found? That's when the gospel is preached. In other words, you don't always have the ability to respond to God. God will not always be present for you. God will offer his hand for a time, but that hand will not always be extended. There will come a time where that hand comes back. And some people say, well, that's the end of the age or that's the end of my life. Not so. Because Jesus straight up told people, you will die in your sins. And they were still alive. And many of them lived 40 years after Jesus said that to them. And the whole point of it is this. There comes a time when when you reject God, he says, okay, have your way. Sometimes God answers people's prayers and they don't want them to be answered. Because when God speaks to you and he offers himself to you, He's not offering for you. You know, a lot of people say, oh, I'll say, man, why don't you come to church? Yeah, yeah, I'll come for you. You're not doing me a favor. You're doing you a favor. Many who play games with God don't realize that to those who play games with God, he will seem to be murky. 
he will seem to be fleeting. It'll be like grabbing a cloud. But to those of us who serve God with sincerity, we reach out to God and we touch something solid. And that's why they sometimes don't believe in God. Because they played so many games. They don't realize God is saying, you play too much games. No, I'm not playing with you. Oh, you tried to catch me? No. You missed me. Because in the deceit of your approach, that's how he responds. It says, to the deceitful, he shows himself deceitful. To the crafty, he shows himself crafty. And how do we seek the Lord? Well, in verse 7, he gives the answer. By three methods of repentance. First one, he says, let the wicked forsake his way. In other words, get rid of what you used to do. And the unrighteous man, his thoughts. Second method of repentance is stop thinking what you used to think. And the third method of repentance is by returning. He says, let him return to the Lord. What does he mean by returning? Because the question is, if somebody is wicked, they've never been with God in the first place, right? So we got to ask ourselves, what does he mean by returning? And the thing that you get from returning is this that God always had in the rightful place a man to walk with him. When he created Adam and Eve, he used to walk with Adam in the garden. And God enjoyed that. And that was man's rightful place. That's what God intended when he created man. For all of man to be able to walk with him in the garden. To talk with him along the way. So when we repent, we return to the original purpose of man and woman. We return to that new state to us but that old state for God and we walk with him and his hand is around our shoulder and he said let me show you the way and that's more profound than just walking with God because what it means is we return to the original purpose of man and woman many of us as men were doing wrong before we were saved we were abusing women. Now we should become the protectors of women and children because that's the original purpose of man. Many of us were lazy. God created man to work before there was sin. Therefore, when we return to God, we should be willing to work. Many of the women, they were not good mothers. They had children outside of wedlock. But when you return to the Lord, you become a mother just like Eve. When Adam called her Eve, he called her the mother of all living. And that was an honor to her. Because it was basically saying, you care for and you nourish life itself. He made Eve to be a helper. And what he basically meant by that is the role of women is to make whatever they're in better. And he gave Adam the moral law. He told Adam, don't eat of this tree. And he didn't say anything to Eve about that. Why? Because he entrusted with Adam the law of God. He expected Adam to share the law with his family and to institute it and to decide how it should be implemented. And that's the role of man. So when we return to God, we return to our original roles, don't we? But I want to re 
return again when it says the unrighteous man is thoughts. Because God seizes on that. Right? Because verse 6 and 7, the prophet is speaking, and then God just says, amen. And let me say this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And people often misunderstand this verse. But what it means is this. God's ways are infinitely higher than our ways. Just as the heavens is higher than the earth, how high do the heavens go? We have not yet understood where the end of space is. Therefore, the heavens are infinitely higher than the earth. How far is God from us then? He's instantly distant from us. We could never reach God if he was at heaven. But because he is infinitely distant from us, only he can bridge that gap. And he says it to say something else, too. I'm not like a man. When you do wrong to a man, he holds a grudge. When you do wrong to me, I'm not like that. I'm willing to forgive. And I'm able to keep my promises. That's why he goes into verse 10 and 11. Because he's still talking about the fact that there's infinite distance between our thoughts and his thoughts, between his ways and our ways. So how does he bridge that gap? With his word. He says in verse 10, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The analogy is this. Both things come from heaven. Rain and snow come from heaven. His word comes from heaven. What do rain and snow do? They help produce vegetation. In other words, they help produce life itself. Without rain and snow, there would be no life. Without God's word, there would be no spiritual life. It always accomplishes the purpose that God called for When we speak of God's word, we know from the Old Testament that there's more to God's word than just utterance. What does John 1.1 say? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. Romans 8.27 says, He who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. You may say, what does that mean? Well, follow along with me for a few verses. Romans 12, 12 says this. I'm sorry, 12, 2 says this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 1 Corinthians 2, 16 says this. Who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. What I mean by this is this. 
that God's mind is infinitely distant from us. But what connects us to God is his word. Jesus is called the word because there's nothing that can connect two brains together except but communication. And so when I communicate with you, out of my mind comes a thought and it's transmitted to your mind. And now we have a connection. Right? Jesus brings what's in the mind of God to us. Just like your words bring what's in the mind of you to somebody else. And Jesus brings us that mind, but not only does he bring it and he speaks it, he puts it in our own heads. And the Holy Spirit searches what's in our heads and searches what's in God's heads, and he makes a line between the two. And now we're united. What's in our mind is in the mind of God. What's in God's mind is in our mind. And so now we understand God. If we were to explore further, we would see that we couldn't even understand God's word and read it and understand it without being saved because our ways are infinitely different from God's. But it's only because we've been saved that now we understand it to the world. It seems like the scripture is written in a code that they can never break. That's why they come out with stupid books like the Da Vinci Code. Because to them it is in a code. That's why you got professors who done studied the word for 20 years and haven't figured out that God created the universe. Because until you have some aspect of God's mind in you, scripture is hidden. Paul says it's hidden behind a veil. And you can kind of see what's behind a veil, but you can never really see the depth, the detail. They know a little bit about what's in God's word, but I'm ashamed of how bad they interpret God's word. But when God speaks his word to us, he bridges that gap. That's what Isaiah 55 is about. His word never fails. Because his word is Jesus. He always accomplishes what he wants to accomplish. And we can use it and say this when we look at verse 12 and 13 and we look at God's promises, God's promises always come true. He says in verse 12, for you shall go out in joy. And we can believe that because God not only has the power to say what he wants, but he always has the power to do exactly what he wants. God forms history itself so that his words always come true. God can control the past and the future to make it so that his word never returns to him void. So when God makes a promise, it's not like men making a promise. If I make a promise to come to your house on Tuesday, I'm kind of hoping that I can do that. I may not be alive Tuesday. I may not have the means to do it Tuesday. You may not be alive on Tuesday, but if God promises he'll see you on Tuesday, he will see you because he's guaranteed you'll be alive. He's guaranteed he'll be alive. He's guaranteed you'll have the means to see him. When God says a promise, it means more than when a man says a promise. 
That's why we can read so much in the God's word. Because we know, man, if God said this, that must mean this. If God says when he comes, he's coming back, if God says he's bringing us into heaven, that must mean, right? That's what the writers do. That's all in the New Testament. The New Testament is God promises this. Because he promises this, you know what that means? That's why he says in verse 12, for you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. God promises us joy and peace. He says the mountains and hills before you shall break out forth into singing. And I get in there, those old little movies. You know, that guy walking down the street, and then the mountains are going like this, smiling. That's what it's going to be like for us. We're going to walk in, the mountain going to be, hey! We're just going to wave. When God says the rocks will break forth in praise, maybe he was literal about that. All the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Don't that sound like, again, those old cartoons, the trees clapping? Instead of the thorn, there shall be come up a cypress. Instead of the briar, there shall come up a myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. What does he mean by that? Well, what he means is God restores the joy of labor. In Genesis 3, when God cursed man because man had sinned, he said, I will turn creation into thorns. I will make you work by the sweat of your brow. And you'll be working hard and you'll say, this is all I came up with? But when God saves us, he restores the joy of labor. So we can look and say what I worked for, I can't believe I got this much. God heals creation. If God is going to restore the joy of labor, that means he's also going to restore creation. Because that's what we labor on. God is going to restore man's purpose. Because man spends so much wasted hours doing things to stop other men from doing things. But when God restores his creation, we don't have to waste our time with that. We won't have policemen. Because there won't be nobody to steal and kill. We won't even have to lock our doors. We won't even have to put lights on in our house because God will be our light. I say all of chapter 5 to say this, so come. Christ is our witness and our leader. How is he our witness? Because of his present reign and his earthly ministry. In other words, Christ when we look in the Gospels, we see how he wants us to live. <clears throat> because he's in heaven now, we can pray to him and get guidance on how we should live today. The other thing is, taste and see that the Lord is good. Isn't that what this passage is saying? It's describing it in so many different ways by food so that we can come and understand that when you experience God, there is no doubt that his promises are true. If we know all these things, evangelism is a natural consequence of our call. As a church, we're going to be instituting some evangelism pretty soon. 
And the reason we're going to be doing this is because God has called us and he's given us the ability to call people we didn't even know. So let's use that ability. Let's call other people to come. Seek God now. Don't miss the opportunity to seek God. Because in chapter 57, verse 21, it says this. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. When I read that, I was astounded. But then I read it again. Because Isaiah says this twice in his book. I was like, wait a second, did I read the wrong chapter? And I was looking, and I was looking, wait a second. Is that in, is that in chapter 48? And I looked, 48 verse 22, same thing. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. Why does God repeat himself? Because he wants us to know that that's so true. There is no peace for the wicked, so seek God while he's being preached. Don't play games. Too many people are coming to church trying to fool the people that's there. Not realizing that you can fool me, but you can't fool God. Don't try to fit God in the man-sized box. And don't try to solve God-sized problems with man. In other words, we try to fit God in the way we think. And that's not going to work. And then we try to solve the problems of eternity with man. Plenty of politicians saying, oh, God, people is evil. We need more education. That's not going to, nobody being smarter is going to stop stealing. They're just going to steal a smarter way. That's why we got hackers. That's why we got fraudsters. People just graduate to new schools of thievery. Education is not the answer. Government programs is not the answer. Welfare is not the answer. Not welfare is not the answer. Taxes is not the answer. No taxes is not the answer. Only God is the answer because he is infinitely distant from us, so only something infinite can bridge that gap. And so we say, come. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your truths. We pray that you would just have us to come. Help us to respond to your word. We don't want to play games with you, Lord. We just want to serve you, Lord. Sometimes we got to say to us, say to you, Lord, help us take away our doubts. Take away our unwillingness to serve you. Take away our love for our own sins, our love for our own flesh, our love for our own ways, our own thoughts. Sometimes your ways are infinitely higher than ours, and we still prefer our ways. So help us, Lord. Help us to serve you first. In your name we pray. Amen.